The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. We are going to spend this quarter talking about what it means to have a childlike faith. And it's going to be a lot of fun as we do that. Before we get started, though, I want to draw attention to a few things uh, that are really important for you to hear uh, as we get started. First, uh, if you want to be prayed for, um, I know that you have things that you need prayer for, that you want prayer for. Uh, We have cards that are in back on this thing that we call the welcome table. And I want to assure you that if you fill one of those out, there's a team of students that will pray for you, and there are people in this church that are more eager to pray for you than you are to actually write them down. And of course, we get to pray to a God that is actually more eager to hear and answer our prayers than we are to pray them. So uh, make sure that you're prayed for. Um, fill out a card before you leave tonight. And then uh, often as we, as we get to reflect on things like childlike faith, Uh, and think about the things we do here at the end. Did you know that we have what we like to call in takeout uh, that you can take home with you? If you're tracking with some of the things that we're doing here, uh, we have some reflections that uh, our staff puts together that will help uh, guide your your study and your reflections throughout the rest of the week. And again, those are on the the welcome table in the back, and tonight they'll also be at other exits around the room. So I encourage you to pick those up. And I also want to draw attention to the worship team we have tonight is the group of folks uh, that that often leads us here in worship at University Presbyterian Church in our 6 p.m. service. We have an awesome intergenerational community of faith here at UPC. And uh, I want to invite you, if you want to come for dinner at, say, 5 or 5.30, then worship with us at 6. It's these folks who are leading us. It's a great time. So uh, uh, as you're thinking about stuff in the new year, come and join us for worship uh, sometime here at UPC. All right. Uh, I asked you about an embarrassing moment that happened uh, when you were 10 or younger. And uh, I could definitely share with you uh, some embarrassing moments I've had. I could definitely share with you about the time that I was on a sports trip, and for whatever reason, coming home on that trip, I, I totally like wet myself. But that was in high school, so I can't share that. <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll go to the time that I must have been about five or six years old, and it was a family reunion. I was totally stoked. All my aunts and uncles and, and cousins were together, and we were meeting at this place. Uh, and I was totally stoked about the fact that at this place where we were meeting, there was a swimming pool. I loved to play in the water. And at this point, I couldn't swim, but I would do, I had those, those water wing things. But being the competitive little guy that I was and being totally amped up because all my cousins were there, I decided that I was going to be the first person in the water, and I was without my water wings, which means that promptly followed by me was, uh, was uh, somebody who was wearing these sweet, like, members only. This is like in the early, this is like... 1980, so they had the sweet, like, members-only slacks and the cashmere sweater. That'd be my dad. It ensured that he was the second one in the water wearing said cashmere sweater. Chlorine, cashmere don't totally mix, okay? But it was one of those moments where in front of my whole family, there must have been like 45 people there, I am flailing about in the water going, oops, forgot the water wings. Luckily, my dad was there to, uh, to bail me out 
And even as I, I reflect on that now, it, it just reminds me of those moments that we have in our lives, particularly and perhaps in the moments that you shared with each other, that we are people that are incredibly capable of screwing things up, of making really weird mistakes, people who are desperately in need of a savior. So what we're going to look at is, in, in a sense, going back to what does it mean to be a child? What does it mean to have faith like a child? Now, I, I want to acknowledge that as we get started with this in winter quarter, I recognize that there's a tension, that, that we're going to talk about having faith like a child, and here you are, a group of, of college students and young adults that are going, wait a minute, isn't this the season of my life where I'm trying not to be like a child? And yet our Lord is saying, no, you are to have faith like a child. But here's, here's a key distinction that I want to make starting tonight and really as we, we uh, sit with this together uh, throughout this month primarily, and then we're going we're gonna to keep a similar focus as we get into February uh, and March, but it'll, it'll change a little bit. And that's this, okay? What does it look like? What does it mean for us to have a childlike faith without being childish? What does it mean for us to behave childlike without being childish? That's the task that we have ahead of us. I hope, uh, I, I'm really excited about this. I hope you are. Before we, we dive into this a little bit more, let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, I, I know that I come into 2014 wanting to grow wanting to experience you more. And Lord, I, I know that I'm not alone in that desire. And, and Lord, I know that my great desire for each and every student that is in this room tonight, uh, each and every person, uh, is that they would grow in their faith, uh, that they would have an opportunity uh, to see that you are more real than they gave you credit for last year. And so, Lord, as we continue tonight, uh, help us out. Help us move the ball downfield on this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. What we know for sure, Jesus loves the little children. Let the little children come unto me. Do not hinder them whatsoever. We see Jesus in, in the Gospels invite children. Uh, he often heals children. And it doesn't matter what their or their parents' background is. That's just what Jesus does. And the passage out of Matthew that we're going to be looking at, one of my theological heroes, a guy named Dale Bruner, basically notes that that this whole passage reminds us about the, the reverence and about how special kids are in God's eyes and particularly in this section of the gospel. Uh, but as we get into what we're looking at, particularly to, uh, to a group of, of university students and young adults, in this era of extended adolescence, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people out there that when they think about you, they start talking about you um, as if you are, are living in very childish ways. I certainly, don't have, I certainly don't believe that it has to be that way. 
There's a big difference between being childlike and childish. So Jesus all at once first says, yes, children are special and embraces it. And of course, that means that we are supposed to do the same thing. But then there's a teaching that we're going to get to tonight that is much more difficult when he says, no, you are to become like a child. You are to be childlike. Yet there's nothing in everything that Jesus says that permits you to be childish. Childlike without being childish. What am I talking about here? Let me, uh, let me uh, go to the next slide here. Okay, I have discovered, this is, I, I'm thinking about this certainly as I think about my own life. Right now I'm a, I'm a father to two little redheaded boys, a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and I am, I'm observing them in the ways that they are wonderfully childlike and of course the ways that they are horrifically childish. Let me share a few things with you as we go through this list. Okay, first, childish is helpless. Okay, the worst moments with my two and with my two-year-old are the ones where where he he needs something and he's going bananas. It's usually with some sort of arched back, ah, you know, where where I have I have some way to help Colin, but he absolutely will not let me help him. Okay, being helpless. On the other side, I love it when Colin comes up to me and he'll just go help, help, help when he asks for help. In the same two-year-old, I can see a child that acts childish and being totally helpless, arched back, going nuts, and all at the, at, you know, a moment later, we'll say, help. Big difference between childish and childlike. Okay, childish, um, I'm sorry, that should say builds fear. Childlike builds trust. Great, uh, great story here that I think illustrates this. Uh, we were at a park a few years ago on vacation, and it had this sweet water slide, and I was taking, at the time, my oldest son was, was three, and inside the tube of one of these water slides, it was really dark, and Carson was absolutely terrified of it. Well, as, it, as I kept urging him to do it, he kept giving in to more and more of the fear. He let the fear absolutely win the day. He was building upon the fear. Well, trust looks a, a lot more like saying, no, daddy, I will go with you, which is what happened when we went back to that same place the following year, where childlike allow, is saying, my little guy trusts me, and we can do this. Instead of having it build on fear, it built on trust. Um, childish expresses emotion in any way at any moment, okay? What do we call that? That's a tantrum. Okay, my two-year-old's really, really good at those. Okay, childlike, and this is really important that you hear this, that when I'm talking about childish, childish is not, or childlike is not the lack of expressing emotion. It's actually expressing and experiencing emotion, but it notices the emotions of others. Right now, it's amazing. My five-year-old, I could be looking at my phone or something, and if I go, and maybe I'm getting some bad news about something, and I'll be like, oh, my goodness. Carson would go, oh, why'd you say, oh, my goodness? I mean, he notices everything. Of course, he expresses his own emotion, but he's, I'm seeing how he's one that's really noticing everything um, that I do as well. Of course, childish, the world revolves around me, me, me. It's all about me. And right now, that is probably the word that my two-year-old uses most. Me, me. You know, he'll, uh, 
you know, I'll grab an orange or whatever, and he'll try and snatch it out of my hand and go, me. And he looks really cute when he does it. <laughs> World revolves around me. Childlike, and I love this one. Childlike is curious about the world. Instead of having the world revolve around me, childlike is curious. It can be so frustrating when I'm trying to get Carson to preschool, and it takes us 20 minutes to get to the car because he wants to stop and pick the dandelions and blow on them and notice the bird and everything. Oh my gosh, let's go already. But there's something wonderfully childlike about being curious about the world. Childish makes demands. Okay, usually the demand from the two-year-old is no, no, no. <laughs> um, where childlike makes requests. I love it when either one of the boys will say, can I try that? Whether we're putting together some Legos or doing a puzzle or maybe playing a game on my phone or something. Okay, bottom line is this. Childish is reactive. It's a childish behavior is simply reacting to the world around you where childlike is being proactive. It's, it's engaging a little bit more. It's taking responsibility. It's not being apathetic and letting things happen. It's saying, can I try? Can I take a step into that? Can I trust you and we go down the water slide? Now, what does this have to do with you? No doubt you can look at your roommate. Perhaps you would even... Uh, look at your own life, and you could, you could see childish behaviors at times. What does childish behavior look like when we're talking about a group of young adults? It, it, it means that when something doesn't go your way relationally, somebody, somebody crosses you up, you immediately get defensive. It means that, that your, your roommate, uh, who is, seems to be involved in everything, just just says yes to everything that comes our way, and the next thing you know, they are profoundly overwhelmed by everything that they have to do, things that they could have said no to, but they were reactive instead of proactive. Perhaps you're sitting here apathetic in your faith. You show up going, I, come on, Ryan, make me feel something. You make me grow in my faith, as opposed to owning it. And saying, I'm going to, to, to take a proactive step into leaning into something. And of course, uh, the other word that people use to describe this generation is entitled. They just want it to be given to them. As opposed to a honest, that would be childish. A childlike behavior will engage because of the curiosity, the desire to learn and grow. Childlike without being childish. Let's take a look at what, where the Bible leads us into this and what we're going to be, what kind of will be the thesis of what we're going to look at uh, over the next five weeks or so. This is from Matthew 18. It says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked... Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Okay, Jesus is then going to give them an answer that is going to surprise um, the disciples. Jesus called a little child whom he placed among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Therefore, whoever takes a humble place, becoming like this child, they are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Let's reflect on this for the, the balance of our time for a few minutes. To me, the line that jumps out here is, is that, that line, whoever takes a humble place. What we are beginning to lean into here that is hard for us to understand because it is so countercultural is this word humility, this idea humility. And so what are we talking about when we're talking about this humble place or humility? Now, if you were to look up humility in the dictionary, it would, it would, say, uh, it would say this. Humility is a modest or, or low view of one's self-importance. A modest or low view of one's self-importance. Now, I don't particularly care for that definition. Okay, we've all per- perhaps had those moments where I've had these moments in church where somebody, you know, perhaps they'll sing a, a beautiful song up in front of, of church and you, and you go and you compliment them and, and they'll be like, oh, oh no, it really wasn't that good. It, it, it wasn't me, it was God. And they deflect everything and you're like, oh my gosh, knock it off. Okay, that, that type of artificially low view where you're going, no, 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 that was awesome and you know it, so knock it off. Okay, that... Um, I don't particularly like this definition of humility. Instead, I like the definition of a guy named Dallas Willard, a theologian and church historian who redefines humility, and he defines it like this. He says, humility is thinking accurately of yourself. Humility is not thinking lowly of yourself or modestly of yourself. Humility is thinking accurately about oneself. Now, it, perhaps it helps to think a little bit about about this in terms of the antithesis of humility, which, of course, is pride, okay? The, the, if we were to put pride in the redefined definition, it would, it would say this. Pride, okay, and we all think about pride as somebody who might, be, might have an inflated ego. They might be, you know, they, they think obviously very highly of themselves. I don't think pride is, is much, and this is, again, borrowing from Dallas Willard, is much about thinking too highly of oneself, pride is simply thinking too much about oneself. Now, if I'm to be straight up honest with you, um, as I've, I've at times shared uh, from up here before, that I get into these moments of self-loathing where I get totally self-consumed and, and I, I find myself dragging around and looking into that thing that Janie likes to call our, our personal crap closet. And in that moment, I feel crappy about myself. And honestly, I would say that those moments where I'm thinking plenty lowly of myself are actually some of the moments that I've been the most prideful in my life. Why? Because I am totally self-absorbed in that moment. It's all about me, me, me. And the only thing I'm looking at is my crap closet and not at the many blessings and gifts and talents that God has also given me, along with, of course, those crappy things that I drag around and those, those, those reoccurring needs that I have. Are you tracking with me here? Pride is not thinking too highly of yourself. It's thinking too much about yourself. Humility is not thinking lowly of yourself, Friends, it's thinking accurately about yourself. 
If there's any hope that I have for us in this series, it's that we might begin to think a little bit more accurately about who we are with the hopes of of getting a better idea of who God is to us in that. Uh, When I was in college, one of the things that that I I did uh, initially, just because it was a requirement of the fraternity that I lived in, was help kids um, with special needs train for the Special Olympics. And I remember as I, when I first did this, I was doing it again just to kind of check a mark off of, of a box. And there were guys in my house that absolutely loved these kids. But I was slow to, I was slow to get there until I started working uh, with this one particular girl, Addie Morton. And Addie and I ended up working together for about three years as I helped her train for... Uh, the Special Olympics, and I and I went from a place of kind of going, seeing this experience as my, you know, kind of my obligation uh, to step in so that I could join this this organization, and did it kind of begrudgingly, um, in part because it was time out of my day, and also it was really really hard work, really hard work, and I know that anybody who's worked with kids with special needs has probably experienced that, but I can tell you that in the end. I absolutely fell in love with this little girl and found our time together totally refreshing. How did that happen from being totally exhausted by this experience to being totally refreshed by it? Well, I think it's because what I, what I came to is that Addie could only be herself. She didn't have the ability to, to so to speak, fake it. She had needs that were absolutely glaring and she could not hide them. And she allowed me and allowed her parents and allowed others to be a part of meeting those needs. And it became my joy, my privilege to be able to do so. Addie was who she, who she was and she could only be that. And it absolutely blessed my life. Uh, Susie, when she was up here sharing about her experience on Seattle Mission and with Union Gospel Mission, addressed the same thing about the opportunity to worship with people who could only be exactly who they are. That's a vision of humility. So then the question is, when we're pursuing this childlike faith without being childish, how do we develop this sense of humility? We develop it by admitting that we are people in need And we develop it by actually thinking about what is it that I really need over and above what I want. What am I getting at here? Let's uh, let's talk about birds for a few minutes. Now, I know some of you guys might have different opinions about birds. My colleague Janie, uh, when I first brought this up, she said, and I quote, birds are disgusting. Okay, we're going to talk about baby birds here. Okay, did you know, okay, you didn't know that you're going to get a lesson in in like bird study here, but here we go. Did you know that when birds are born, there's really two types of descriptions that birds get when they're born, okay? First, you have precocial birds, okay? And precocial birds are hatched, and essentially, they're ready to rock, okay? They come out of the egg, their eyes are open, they've got feathers, they can kind of move around, their head's up. Okay, precocial birds are, are pretty much ready to go. 
Okay? Now, in an, extreme, an extremely precocial bird is basically they hatch and they fly out of the nest. Okay, we have exactly zero species of those in North America. Okay, the, the, the type of precocial bird that we, that we have that you might be familiar with are ducks, okay, and ducklings. Okay, they're precocial because they come when they hatch, they have little feathers. I, you know, I don't find baby ducks to be disgusting. I, you know, I actually find them to be kind of cute, okay? <laughs> they come out. But they're only partially precocial because they follow their mama duck around and mama duck actually leads them to food but doesn't actually feed them. So I don't know if you've ever had the experience, perhaps those of you who like to go meander about Green Lake, go grab your cup of coffee and you go sit someplace and maybe you've had the experience of, of seeing mama duck with the ducklings and you get a little bit too close with your coffee and mama duck like actually comes at you with beak open and the, and the actual sound that a duck beak makes when it's like trying to clamp on your leg can be what one might call terrifying, okay? <laughs> Though not as terrifying as geese. Geese are, the geese are flat freaking scary. Why? Because, because they always go for the butt. At least, at least that's been my experience, okay? Ducks. Precocial birds, okay, they, they get ready to rock and roll and they do it, they do it pretty quick, okay, but the second um, type of bird is altricial birds. Now, altricial birds are, are these types of birds. Now, these, these, you can make a much more, a much more compelling argument around disgusting, okay? Why? They're born, they come out of the egg, head down, they have, they have no down, which is just a technical word for feathers. Bet you didn't know that. Okay. And they are in, they're in the nest for several, for several days. And, and again, if you were going to make, as Janie so aptly pointed out, if you're going to make an argument for disgusting, they're fed by the parent actually regurgitating into their mouths. Okay. Not the, you know, but penguins do that too. And I think penguins are money. Okay. Altricial birds. Okay, they have, they have great needs. Now, here's the deal. You know, if I was to give you a mingle question around if you could have one superpower, what would it be? I bet you half of the room would say flying. Okay, that would certainly be in my, you know, my top 10, if not my top three. But the problem is if an altricial bird, and for that part, even a precocial bird, if they try to fly too soon, it puts them in great danger and often they'll die. Most of the time, parents are not strong enough to be able to pick up that bird if it has left or fallen out of the nest and get it back to where it needs to be or a predator will get it a little bit quicker. Okay? The, um, we, you hear about the, the, the word fledging. Okay, fledging, we'll use this like, Oh, you know, you'll hear about a, you know, a freshman quarterback playing for a team saying, oh, you know, the, um, this offense is fledging under this person's leadership or whatever. It's, it's a positive word for saying they're growing. They're growing up. They're, they're, they're flourishing. So we borrow that. And these birds will still fledge in a matter of days. Why do I bring this up? I bring it up because I believe that though, obviously, we're not birds, that we are very are altricial creatures. You are not in the desk. desk. You are 
not in the nest for a matter of days, but rather a matter of years. What does this tell us? It tells us that we are creatures who have great needs. Quit pretending that you don't have needs. Quit pretending that the person that you're sitting next to has it figured out when it appears like you don't. The reality is that we are creatures in need. That we have great needs. They're needs that never necessarily go away. Even once these birds leave the nest, their needs are still present. Do you know what your needs are? Recently, I met with one of our core group leaders who we, we got to, to talking about this. And he, in hearing his group over the last quarter, he uh, simply said, I know that the guys in my group know that they need something, but they don't know what it is. The invitation that I want to give you tonight that continues throughout our quarter is for you to think about what are your needs, to be real with yourself about them. Because in so doing, in acknowledging your needs and perhaps even identifying and articulating what they are, that gives you the opportunity to think accurately about yourself. Gives you the opportunity to live humbly. The way that we proactively pursue having faith like a child is by confessing our needs because that's exactly what a humble person is, one who knows their needs. And so we're going to explore this throughout the quarter. We're going to explore what it means to be people who know that we need instruction, who know that we need to be found, who know that we need to be forgiven, who know we need to be blessed. This is an incredibly counterculture thing to do. We live in a place that says bigger, faster, stronger, and do everything you can to look that way. But I don't think that you came tonight because you want to be like everyone else. I think you came because you're seeking more. You want to know God more. You know that there's something more out there. And the way that you're going to get there is by discovering more and being honest with yourself about what you need. And so we come back to, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes a humble place becoming like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why do this? Two reasons to close. Two things. Because the one who asks you to come from this humble place first demonstrated that humility. That's what we just celebrated at Christmas. The reality that God came down, entered fully into the condition that we find ourselves now for the purposes of living, dying, going to the cross, and in so doing saying, there is no no need that you have that I can't meet. Try it. 
And second, it is only when we recognize our need that we can connect with the humility of God that can lead us to greatness and help us understand the greatness of God. And let me tell you now that Jesus doesn't come to eliminate our needs, but Jesus does come to to meet them. He may not eliminate them, but he will meet them. And so I stand before you tonight believing that if you confess your needs, if you're real about that, then you have the opportunity to see that Jesus is at work in your life way more than you tend to give Jesus credit for. It gives you the opportunity to see that you too need a savior. It is then that we discover that God is in fact for you. His heart is that you would be fledging and flourishing, not just in the end, but today. Your needs can be met, your strength can be renewed so that you may soar on the wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not be faint. That's God's promise to you. Let's pray. Lord, uh, because of your grace, we can engage our needs. We know ourselves to be needy. And Lord, we just hope to God uh, that your gospel is true and that you can meet our needs because nothing else can. Uh, And so meet us in this place tonight. And not just tonight, throughout the quarter. Meet us, needy people that we are. Lord, that we truly might know what it means to soar on the wings like eagles and to be renewed and to have strength. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.